0: Good morning. Welcome to the Christian Church of Vestas Park. We're disciples of Jesus to build generational, transformational disciples of Jesus. And of course, disciples are those who follow after Jesus, which means we are a church on the move. And that's what we're talking about today, following Jesus. This whole series is about that. And speaking about being a church on the move, we're actually quite literally also a church on the move. We have people in our church that are moving right now, and as a church, we want to help each other. And so uh, you probably got an email, if you didn't, uh, from me. We don't have your, af- your actual email addresses, so let's fix that. Um, but uh, one of our members... Uh, Drew and his wife, Dar, we've been praying for them to find a place. Remember, that was a huge prayer request because we know Estes Park, and it takes a miracle. God provided the miracle, and they are going to be moving this afternoon uh, right after this service. So 11 o'clock till hopefully be done around 2. If you can help us out and to to move some things, we would sure appreciate that. And in fact, if you have a pickup truck, uh, we would appreciate if you bring that too. Because one of the things... Uh, They rented a U-Haul, and then apparently more people are moving out of Colorado than moving in or something, and they couldn't get their U-Haul. So if you have a pickup truck, that'd be awesome too. Um, If you would like to know where to go to, uh, Carissa will help you with that after the service or come talk to me, and I will give you their address. But that's one thing. But something else uh, we found today that obviously uh, our um, associate pastor, Zach, is on his way. He left this morning. He is in a U-Haul truck right now. Jesse, oh man, I'm going to do that a thousand times. Jesse, you guys are going to have to help me out with that. So Jesse is coming, and uh, yeah, so we all need to get to know him, apparently me, more than most, and uh, he'll be here tomorrow, he'll be staying in the night at uh, Amy's house with us, and then the next day, his wife Angelina comes in, flies in, they close on their house, and they move into their home, they're going to try to do all of that in one day on Tuesday. So if there's anybody who'd like to help, maybe Tuesday afternoon, help them unpack unla- uh, their truck and put it into their very small closet with a roof house, um, then uh, we will be uh, be having some help doing that. And that they're on the ABC street, so you can talk to me about that, and I will help you with that. So there's a couple good things that we can do as a church, showing love for one another. One of the things that Jesus taught us how to do. In fact, uh, that's what we find as we uh, going through this series on uh, following Jesus, is... What did Jesus actually do? How did he actually teach? Because we talk about being disciples of Jesus, but if we didn't know what Jesus actually did, what he actually taught, it's hard to follow after him. And that's what we're doing uh, so far, in fact, all the way through the summer. And uh, last week, we we began Jesus' first year of ministry. We got to see how that started, and today we're going to complete that first year of ministry that he was at. And we have our memory verse course for the series. We want to get to that, and then we'll get to the rest of the message. It's Matthew chapter 16, uh, 24, and hopefully by now, it's been about a month, that's starting to sound a little fami- more familiar, but if not, don't worry, it's it's uh, pretty easy. But it is important because this is uh, what Jesus said his disciples must do, and so it's important that we recognize that. So here we go, say it along with me. Three Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Matthew 16, 24. Oh, you sound so good. Again. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Matthew 16, 24. All right, now last time to test. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross. And follow me, Matthew sixteen twenty four. Awesome. Now, of course, that uh, memory verse is on your connection card. That's that ugly green card we put into that bulletin for you. So you can just take that memory verse card off, put it in your pocket your wallet, and that would be awesome. And say, since you have that uh, connection card out there during the message, you'd fill that out for me. I would appreciate it. Put your prayer requests on there. And if you didn't get an email from me this week, uh, this is a great opportunity to put your email address on there so we can have your accurate stuff. All right. So here we go. We're starting with the gale- um the Galilean ministry, right? And this is part one because Jesus is going to be in Galilee for quite some time. Now, so far that we've uh, gone through uh, it's in the ministry that he has, Jesus started last week, his first year of ministry. We're going to Passover to Passover. So he starts in Passover down there in Jerusalem, right? And that's the area of Judah. That's where he began. And he was there for about three months. Uh, you know, he, he started that area. Uh, he did the first cleansing of the temple, talked to Nicodemus, if you remember that, that uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That all that was there. We have the miracles that Jesus was doing in, in Jerusalem, doing all those things. We have baptisms that his disciples were in the, in the Jordan. Of course, John the Baptist, his disciples are like, hey, what's this guy doing? And John's like, no. I have to decrease. He's got to increase because that's—he's the Messiah. All of that happened. Then, of course, he goes up to Samaria, has that uh, great conversation with the woman at the well, and uh, reveals that he's living water. And then spends a couple of days in Samaria at uh, bringing that whole community uh, to salvation and, and to following Jesus. What a great thing! So that's where we pick up the story today. And uh, John four forty-three. Uh, begins here. It says, "After two days in, he left for Galilee, uh, now that Jesus had uh, pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. Now be, John is just making a little paraphrase there. we'll get back to that in a little bit, but it's, it's not going to go well. And then it says, when he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they had been there. So when he shows up in Galilee, and he's back in his own country, and at first, things are going. Pretty good. In fact, we find out some other places that he didn't just go to Galilee. He ended up going to Cana, where he changed water into wine. So it hadn't been very long before that that he changed his, his first public miracle. He goes down and he has miracles and all these things that happen in in, uh, in Jerusalem, right? And there were those most of the community went down there to celebrate Passover. Down there, they would have seen those things. When he comes back to Cana, of course, it's going to be a good reception. He's validating himself. As being God, because God can do miracles, and He's also teaching this message, and over and over again, as you read the Gospels, and I encourage you to do that, you'll find that Jesus' message was, "Repent! The kingdom of God is near." Right? It's a really good thing. Like you turn to God, because uh, so good things are going, because God is doing good things. The kingdom of God is coming. Now, as He does that, uh, we find that uh, we have that uh, paraphrase that John throws in there, but. A prophet doesn't have any honor in his own country, right? So we know that he's going up into Galilee, and he's got this great reception, but sometimes familiarity breeds contempt, and we see that happen in Jesus' life. But not yet. First thing we find is he is in Cana of Galilee, and he does another important miracle, something unique, because he's been doing lots of other miracles already. But this one recorded, the next major miracle recorded, is that he heals a royal official's son. And you're like, well, big deal except for this uh, royal official has, uh, wasn't from Cana, right? And so let's read about that here, John 4:46 It says, Once more he visited Cana Galilee, where he had turned water into wine, and there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick, where? In Capernaum. That's in a whole other city. And when the man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, He went to him and begged him to come and to heal his son who was close to death. He's a man who was desperate. And if anyone's ever had a sick child, you understand the panic, the terror, right? And his son was very, very sick. And so this man makes this journey. He goes to see Jesus and he begs him, which is pretty uncommon for a royal official to do. It's not a posture they're used to, especially when talking to a common folk kind of guy like Jesus who... You know, carpenter. And Jesus' response, if you go on the scripture there after John 4:46,, the next verse, it says that Jesus his response to him was, was this: "Unless you people see signs and wonders, you're never going to believe." Which to me, the first time I read that, it sounded kind of heartless, right? Because his kid's dying. But that's really not what Jesus, it's not that he didn't have compassion. Jesus didn't come to heal sick people. That wasn't his main goal. That he did that because he loves people. But I think he gets to this point. He's back in the very city. He turned water into wine. He did all these things, and now there's every day they're asking for more and more miracles. And I think God kind of wonders sometimes, how many miracles is enough? How much evidence does God need to put into your life until you finally realize that he's real and you stop playing footsie with the Almighty? You find out that God has come! And we stop asking him for petty little things to prove himself. God has shown up. And I think Jesus gets a little frustrated that he's constantly put on the show. He's like some kind of show pony. Here, Jesus, do this big miracle for me. Oh, I'll believe today, but tomorrow, oh, you need another big miracle, otherwise you're not God. And I think he gets a little tired of it. And so he says it. How much? You guys always got to have these things. You always got to have a show. But then Jesus does do something. Tells the guy, yeah, go home. Your son will be fine. And uh, that's a significant step of faith because the man didn't get to see the miracle. He didn't get to have the show. He didn't have the sign. All he had was faith. He had to take Jesus at his word. Now, I want to just show you on a map. There's Cana, and then if you go all the way back, to that little body of water. We always look at bodies of water and know where we are in the Holy Land, right? So you have the Sea of Galilee is right there in the middle. And, of course, you have the, the Mediterranean, so we have idea where we're at. That's like a two-day walk down through mountainously hills and all that kind of stuff. This royal official had to travel all that way to see Jesus. Jesus says, take my word for it. And there wasn't cell phones back then, if you can imagine. No email. He just had to leave. And he did. He believed and he started his walk back home. Now something amazing happened. Is that on his way home, some of his servants ran out to meet him. So who knows where they met him. Somewhere along the line. And they find him and they say, you won't believe this. Your kid is better. Your son is like healed, like it just, boom, he's better. And he said, whoa, 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 wait, wait. what time? What time did he get better? If if this wasn't already miracle enough. And it says they told him the time, and he was like, check the sundial on his wrist. And he was like, that was the time I was talking to Jesus. And he goes back to Capernaum, of course, and he tells the story because his son is better. Well, Jesus continues to teach, right? And the next thing we find is that he goes back to Nazareth. And that's the next big thing that happens in his life. And this is where John's little parentheses in there, the warning that a prophet isn't, a prophet isn't honored in his own town. This is where that took place. And he goes back to his own hometown in Nazareth. And it doesn't go very good. Now, it starts out good because he shows up. And, of course, Jesus is a celebrity now. He's the hometown hero Right? He's the guy that they heard, he's doing all these miracles, and he can hear people from distances, and he can turn water into wine, and he can do all these things, right? And so they heard about it, and they're like, hey, we've got a synagogue, and synagogues are not that big. And then I got to go I'll show a picture of one in a little bit, but it's, they're not that big. And so it's the town gets together, and they're like, hey, Jesus, would you please preach for us? And Jesus says, well, yes, I will. And so he, he goes and he speaks there, and, and so he goes back from Canaan, goes down to Nazareth, and if you can see there, it's like coming off of a mountain, goes across the plain, back up to in the mountains, and he gets there, and he speaks, and what does he preach on? Because this is his opportunity to speak to his own hometown, which I know something about, Right? And he gets to preach. What's the message? And he chooses a scroll of Isaiah. Isaiah 61 is where he begins. And we can read about it in Luke. And uh, Luke 18, it says this. This is what Jesus began his sermon to his hometown with. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, and to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then Jesus said, right after that, Today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And it says that all the people there were enthralled, and they were so encouraged by all the amazing things that Jesus was saying to them. But then Jesus says, you know, uh, and, and the scripture actually says, but they, they saw all this stuff, but they kept looking at each other like, well, isn't this Joseph's son? Like, he sounds really good. He does all these things, but we know him. We've seen him grow up. We know who he is. What is this guy talking about? This is, Right. And Jesus could read his audience like I can. That's why my sermons are different each service, right? Because I, it's a conversation. And he sees them. And he says to them, You know what? There's a time coming. Surely you guys are going to say to me, Physician, heal yourself, right? right? Jesus, you do these things. Prove to us, show us more of these signs and wonders. And Jesus was kind of frustrated. Because he, these are the people above anybody else should know he's legitimately the Messiah. He grew up there. They didn't need any more signs. And so Jesus reminds them that this is the way that God works. And he talks about Elisha and Elisha. And he says, listen, these prophets, they, they had all this miraculous power. But guess who they did most of the miracles? They did some of these miracles for were for people that were foreigners. So there were widows and orphans that were living in the land, but they were the ones that helped the widows and orphans that were, that were part of the Gentiles. And it wasn't that he was saying that God didn't care about his people, but Elijah and Elisha didn't need to validate themselves as prophets amongst their people continually. After a while, the people were like, these guys are prophets. And the reason God gave prophets was not to give us miracles, but to give us a message. That's what prophecy means, right? To reveal the truth. And God allowed these prophets some miraculous ministry to validate them but once they were validated it was their message that mattered. Of course the Gentiles didn't have that so God gave them a miraculous ministry up there. And he's telling his people you're not going to get signs and wonders. You don't need it. You got me. You have me. I grew up with you. Well they didn't like that. And, And sometimes I've discovered too that Sometimes you get an audience, and if they don't like what you say, they get mad at you. And that's what happened with Jesus. In fact, verse, uh, what, 29, he says, uh, oh, it's, I went through there. Well, the next verse. It says there that they decided to stone him. They got really mad. And so they take him out to the edge of the town, and they're going to kill him. And they're going to throw him off a cliff. Right? And then there's that next verse, which you saw. This is a spoiler alert, so get my clicker. Right, says he walked right through the crowd and he went on his way. How is that? I don't know. Like, did he turn all ghosty or something? Because you have this crowd of people, like we're going to throw him off a cliff, and it was part of how they were going to stone him to death and all that kind of stuff. Or did he like scare them all, like say silence or something like that? And they're like, right, and they're like, don't mess with this dude. I don't know, but whatever it was. Jesus left because it wasn't his time. This story reminds us, and it's a great warning for us, because a lot of us that are here grew up in the church. We grew up with Jesus, didn't we? We knew about him as children, we read the stories and all these things. And it's a warning that sometimes that familiarity can lead to contempt. It can lead us to, to say, God, how come you're not doing more miracles in my life? The greatest miracle he did in your life is you got to grow up with him. You didn't live in ignorance your entire life wondering who God was and his love. Sometimes God doesn't give us the show because he's reminding us that he is the almighty. He's given you enough. And I think how tragic it is and how common it is that we have oftentimes young people who grow up in the church who have this contempt for the Lord. And they're like, well, I don't see the miracles that I have read about in the Old Testament or things like this, and therefore God can't be real. And they walk away, like Nazareth. And it's tragic. But to recognize what a blessing it is to have grown up with the Lord. To not contempt him, but be contemptuous too towards him because he has revealed himself to you and has lived in your life close with you. The greatest miracle that Jesus ever do in your life is saving your soul. And having the Holy Spirit living within you, making you holy like that, giving you purpose in life and giving you his instructions to how to live. How much more do you need? Well, the people of Nazareth thought they needed more. And so Jesus left. And he walked out, because Jesus goes where he is welcome. And that's really kind of the end of his ministry that we see there in his hometown. How tragic. Now, this all happened, and there was more bad news, because, oh, i want to show you this, there's a stick, this is, this is uh, Mount Precipice, because I wondered, where did they throw Jesus off the cliff or we gonna try to? And this is like, the historical thing, they say, they take him, this is uh, the hill that's right outside of, of, uh, of Nazareth, and it's like it's really intimidating, right? And so, what they would do is they'd throw you off, and then if you didn't die on the way down, then they'd throw rocks on you because that, that'll finish you off. And so, but the problem with this is I don't think this is where they did that because this is two kilometers outside of the center of town, and a Sabbath's walk is one kilometer. And it seems silly to me that they would go twice as far to stone somebody for blasphemy while they're violating their own laws. That just seems awfully silly to me. I don't think it happened here, but you can see it's kind of stiff. So is that a problem? No. Look, this is Nazareth. Nazareth's been built on a big old hill. There's lots of little cliffs, and all these houses, of course, they did ar- I mean, they, they dug things out and stuff like this, but you only have to throw somebody off like a 40-foot cliff, and they have a 50% chance of dying, and if you throw rocks on top of them after that, pff, well, <laughs> so it, it, somewhere here is where the people... they rejected and neglected their own savior and messiah i think in my own life i think it's important that it is if we get familiar with jesus to not forget who he is right how many times that you just get frustrated with god because he's not doing the miracles in your life that you want him to sometimes we don't remember that he's god and he has a message and he's telling us to repent because the kingdom of god is here right and to follow him and to not be like nazareth well all right, so uh, we go back to where we have is. Uh, oh, but this is where they try to throw him off the cliff. Okay, so John the Baptist was arrested. Um, and this is what happened in, in the in Nazareth. Uh, Jesus is getting kicked out of town. Then he finds out that his cousin John the Baptist is being arrested by Herod Antipas, also called Herod the Tetrarch, and um, he was just not a great guy. Uh, he married his sister-in-law Herodias, and she. And, of course, this is not biblically sanctioned. It's not a good thing. And uh, so John the Baptist, who's baptizing people for repentance because the Messiah is here, he's like, here's his, he puts his hat in the political ring. He's like, listen, our leadership is being corrupt. This isn't right. This is not good. And guess what? Corrupt leaders have power. And Herod threw John the Baptist in jail uh, for that. And that's where John the Baptist would spend the rest of his time on earth, although uh, that's just the way it was. So Jesus, of course, finds that his cousin is in jail at this time, and and that's pretty rough. So where did they take John? Well, to probably this this uh, a fortress. Uh, I'm not even going to try to say that name. And it was down in the southern portion. It's by the Dead Sea. It's a, a Roman fortress. Now, remember, John the Baptist has two traditional sites that he uh, would have done his ministry, the northern portion of it, which is town <laughs> called Bethany. Uh, we have uh, Yard neat's up there. The southern portion is actually another s- Bethany beyond the river, around there. I think most likely John the Baptist kind of moved up and down the uh, Jordan River. There's no reason. Um, and so people who say, well, he was rested down south that proves that he had his ministry in the southern portion, that's silly. Um, I think that's where the fortress was. I think that's where the prison was, where they throw him in there. Plus, they p- may have put him down there. Some people who have that say he had a northern ministry they, they say they threw him in prison down south because it's further away from his disciples and his things it doesn't matter they put him in prison and then we know there's a real prison that's where they would have put him at and they moved him away from the river how frustrating would it be if you were john the baptist you came to prepare the way for the messiah he's finally here and you're t- wanting to tell the people who clearly their hearts aren't quite ready for him yet have you ever had that happen you feel like you're ready to do something for god and you feel like well, now is the perfect time, and then things in this world kind of seem to step in their way. But you know what? John had a prophecy over himself. He says, I have to decrease, and he's going to increase. And even through the corrupt government and all the wicked things, you know that God was at work at that? That God was now removing John the Baptist so people could now focus on Jesus? You can't outsmart God. He's pretty cool. All right, so we find in there that... Uh, Jesus, now he has John the Baptist is arrested. He's preaching throughout the land. And then it says, leaving Nazareth, where'd he go? He went to and lived in Capernaum. That's gonna be his new hometown, which was by the lake area of Zebulun, Zebulun and Nephtali. to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and land of Nephtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. This was a prophecy that was, that was uh, given over 700 years before Jesus came. And it talks about where Jesus was going to have his ministry. And so Jesus shows up in Capernaum. Now, there's, I drew this nice little area for you so that you could see where these areas were. And when uh, Joseph, or Joshua brought the people back to the Holy Land, right, the, each of the 12 tribes got their space and it was allotted. Right? These are the areas that you have. You have Zebulun. Nazareth was in Zebulun. And guess what was part of that prophecy? Zebulun. And they had got to grow up with the Messiah. And guess where Capernaum is in? Naphtali. I think it's kind of important. It's like you find that, that scripture is so amazing how it talks about who the Messiah was going to be and little details as to even where he's going to base his ministry out of. And he does. And I think, you see, the, the prophetic fingerprint is now starting to show on Jesus. This is the first year of ministry, right? So far, we have he's a descendant of David, right? He, the virgin birth, pretty big one. Born in Bethlehem, what's a big thing? Uh, he had to live in Na- Nazareth and then had to come out of Nazareth, right? Uh, he, he had to have uh, a prophet come before him and prepare the way for him, John the Baptist, right? And he had to be, uh, have ministry in the land of Zebulun, which Nazareth is in. And then he also had to move from there and have ministry now in the land of Nephtali. Pretty amazing. So Jesus is beginning to live his life, and all of these little details are coming into place of the work of the Messiah that the prophets foretold hundreds of years before he came so we would know who he is. And so he ministers there in Capernaum. And one of the things we find that he does is he calls four fishermen. And, and so we, we actually find there's three callings in Scripture for these four fishermen. And they become disciples. Uh, but, but the first one is in John, right? The Gospel of John. In verse uh, uh, Chapter 1, verses 35. And uh if there we read that he, he calls Andrew and Peter and Philip and Nathanael. He's doing ministry, and, and John the Baptist is there. And John the Baptist points to Jesus and says, hey, that's the one. And then, and then Andrew goes gets uh, his brother, and then Philip goes gets his brother Nathaniel And then Jesus meets with Nathaniel on the hill and be like, hey, I saw what you were doing. And he's like, oh, you really are the Messiah, right? So that's the first call, and that happened early on right? And then Jesus has a second call for these, these four guys, and that's in Matthew. We read about Matthew chapter 4, and then Mark talks about this. And in this one, you find Peter and Andrew and James and John, and, and they are uh, fishing at the time, right? They're fishing, and Jesus shows up, and he says to them, follow me. And then uh, we have Zebulun, who is uh, the, uh, John, James and John's dad he's out there working with his crew he's got a bunch of people it's a fishing operation and his two boys just leave him they just were sort of like we're going to follow Messiah we're going to do this and so they do they leave everything they leave the boats and then they're off with them right? and then we find that Jesus continues to minister in this area probably for another couple weeks maybe a couple months right? He's, but he's there and what are these guys doing? well they're following Jesus but it's close to home so they're also picking up some shifts because guess what they have to eat and they have families. And so they're going and they're working and they're continuing to work. And so we find the last call of that is we find in Luke. And, and this one we find that it's after a long day, a, a, a long night of, of no fish. And we find the fishermen now on the, on the shoreline and they are mending their nets and they're like, oh, it's a hard night and things weren't working. And Jesus is teaching. He's walking up the the shoreline. Of course, he sees Peter who knows him. He's already called him twice, right? Peter knows him. And he says to Peter, hey, can I use your boat? And Peter says, of course. And sets him out in the water. And Jesus then begins to speak. And he tells his sermon and all that stuff is good. And then he says to Peter, hey, why don't you uh, throw your net back in? And Peter's like, you're a good Messiah, but a lousy fisherman. Because here's the deal: uh, we fished all night and there are no fish. And he says, "Do it." And so Peter does. And of course, there's so many fish he can't bring them in. The other fishermen come and they rush up, and there's so much, almost tips the boat over. There's so many fish. And at that moment, Jesus says, "You got to follow me, right?" And says, "Don't worry, right? From this point on, I'm going to make you fishers of men, right? Don't be afraid. You're going to fish for people." And this is says, this is the third time, so they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything, not just their dad on the shore or anything, they have left their whole profession. And this was the call away from it. And we were reminded again of Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you must deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And these guys, it wasn't just like this first time that Jesus came into their life and little bits and little bits, Jesus said, follow me, trust me, know who I am. But there came a point, he says, you have to be all in. And I have something for you. And it was this time that those guys were ready to make, they were like, okay. And they left everything, their business, their families, all of that. And they began to follow Jesus. Now, Jesus' home base was in Capernaum. This is Capernaum from the air. No one's going to see this unless you're in an airplane, which is kind of cool. And you see that big, ugly octagonal building up there? That's a church that was built over Peter's house which was there and which is kind of neat but even if you go and see Peter's house and look at it it, there was other churches older churches that were built on top of it and it's kind of but that's where the first early church met which is kind of cool now something I found interesting when I was there that other building that big rectangular one is where the synagogue is now that synagogue the white synagogue was built in like the fourth century that's not the one that was there in Jesus's time the one that was in Jesus's time is actually underneath that it got destroyed and then it got rebuilt. So, but it was right there. So Peter's house was like right across the street from the synagogue. There was like one neighbor's house in between them. It's not that huge. So here's a, a picture of Peter's house when we were there. I took that picture. I'm very proud of it. It Looks very um, phot- photographic. And I was that's I don't take very many good pictures. And I was like, hey, that's like a postcard. So that's what it looks like from the ground. You can see the ruins of Peter's neighbor's house right in for the foreground. I'm standing at the synagogue. That's how close it was. Right. This is what it would have looked like in, in uh, Jesus' day but more realistic. And so there we go. And then, of course, the synagogue. If you're sitting at Peter's house, that's how far away the synagogue was. It wasn't a very big town, right? When it talks about a lot of Jesus' ministry took place right there. So many things in Scripture happen right in those spaces. It's pretty cool, right? Well, one of the things that happened, and in that synagogue that was there, uh, a, demoni- a demoniac was healed. That was the next big miracle, that Jesus heals a demoniac right there in that synagogue. And something interesting happened with this demoniac. So it's, it's Sabbath, everybody's there, they're doing these things, and this, this guy who's got a demon in him shows up and he says, why are you here, right? I know who you are. Are you here to destroy us? I know you are the Holy One, the Son of God, right? And so this demon identifies Jesus, and Jesus says, be quiet. You don't get to say who I am. And he casts the demon out, and the, the, each of the, Matthew, or Mark and Luke have two uh, different focuses on what happened, and both happened. The guy falls down, convulses, right, and then the spirit comes out with a loud shriek, and, and it was always, like, you know, really dramatic. Right? And everyone was like, whoa, this guy has power even over demons. Because he didn't have to do any, like, a special fancy kind of thing or anything like that, he's just like, get out of here. And he silenced the demon. Well... Um, that's going to be a theme for the rest of, of Jesus' ministry, is demons constantly are trying to, to rat him out. Now, while it's not that Jesus didn't want people to know he's the son of God. He doesn't want demons to, to herald his kingdom. Because God's not about his enemies calling, you know, building his kingdom for him. He's going to do it right. And so he tells the demons, you don't get to say this. And so he silenced them and cast them out. Kind of amazing. Well, Jesus, of course, that was a big day at the church. And so he goes back home. And guess what? Peter's mother-in-law is sick, and she's really sick. She's got a big fever and all this kind of stuff. And so Jesus goes in, and he takes her hand, and he rebukes the, the, the illness, and he helps her up. And the first thing she does is then she goes and makes them some food. I just think, what a cool woman. <laughs> right? How awesome is that? And then it says, for the rest of that whole day, and we don't know how much longer, people all over the city and from all over the area brought their sick to Jesus. And he spent the days, and he would cast out demons, and he would heal the sick, and he would tell them the good news that God's kingdom is near. And that's what he did. And then one day, uh, they wake up, and they can't find Jesus. Where's he at? He's missing. It's early in the morning. Well, he got up really early morning. He went out, and he was outside of town somewhere, and they find him. And they said, Jesus, what are you doing out here, Right? There's a lot of people, there's there's more sick people coming today and all that kind of stuff. And and Jesus says, you know what, this isn't the only town. But we need to share this. We need to go to other towns throughout the region. And so they begin that ministry. In Mark chapter 1, it says, So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Right. So here we find that... Uh, bunch of little towns that are around there there's more than that but these are the ones that we absolutely know that jesus went to and preached at and so he did a nice little preaching tour he went around cast out demons we find that he also healed people too in the midst of this right and uh and so one of those towns that he got to go to and preached in one, of the, uh, in one of the the synagogues there is a place called Magdala. And Magdala is where, of course, Mary of Magdala is from, and this is the synagogue. This is actually a synagogue we know Jesus actually was in, and he actually preached at, which is kind of cool. Just and you see how tiny a synagogue is? It's not that big. I was uh, blown away. I, from my mind, I thought it was going to be like some big megachurch or something like that, but it's and the people in the town would just come and they'd sit and they'd listen as, as the word of God was rolled that little thing sitting there on the, the ground is the place that they would take the, the, the scrolls out and they would read from. And Jesus would sit there and he would teach the gospel. Kind of cool. Well, uh, not only did he teach the gospel, of course, he continued his healing ministry and the next big miracle we find in scripture is that he heals a leper. and Somewhere in that region, there's a guy who has leprosy, and back then, leprosy was kind of like getting COVID. Like, if you have it, then everybody, you have to be quarantined, and nobody wants to see you except for it was a lifetime quarantine. It was horrible, and you lost everything, right? And you have this man who has leprosy, and he's lost everything. And he hears about this Messiah who's casting out demons and healing, and he goes up to him, and he keeps his distance, and he, he begs him, and he says, if you are willing, I can be made well. Talk about the faith. Of course, when you're desperate, it's easier to have faith, and then Jesus does something totally unexpected because by all the law, right, this man is unclean. According to the, the law of Moses, he's unclean. You're not supposed to touch him. You're not supposed to do anything. You're supposed to be separated from him. And of course, the law of the land is you had to be separated from him. Otherwise, you might get the sickness. But instead of just saying you're healed because we know Jesus can do that, he can heal people that are in Capernaum all the way from Cana. He does something even more as he heals the man, the, that man's humanity, as he reaches out his hand and he touches him and he says, I am willing. And he makes him well. And he tells the man very sternly, he says, listen, I did this because I care for you, but I don't want you to tell anybody about this. You go back to your synagogue, you go to the temple, you bring the offerings that it tells in the law to, to bring the offerings, right? And you show yourself to the priests. And the right way for the kingdom of God to be is that these priests would see this miracle had happened and the priests should have validated the Messiah and they should have been the ones to tell the people, hey, there's, your Messiah is here. This man is absolutely healed. But this guy doesn't follow Jesus. He got the miracle, and he took things, matters in his own hands. And so he starts telling everybody, look, I'm healed. And Jesus did it. And that sounds like a good thing, right? Except for the consequence was, it says in Scripture, that now so many people started to come to Jesus with this, he couldn't actually get into these cities anymore. There was just too many. And so he had to go out to lonely places He had to go camp. And even there, they found him. And what were they looking for? Were they looking for the message of the kingdom of God? They were looking for another miracle. And so it kind of worked against them, you know, but Jesus still had compassion, knowing this was going to happen. Well, another thing that this, uh, we find is that Jesus then heals a paralytic. And at this point, it says that Jesus finally just got into a boat, went back to Capernaum, right? He couldn't do any more in these cities. He, his ministry there was ruined because this guy didn't follow Jesus' instructions. So he goes back to Capernaum and he's in there and there's so many people, so many crowded people that are there that that it was hard for the for the sick people to get to Jesus, and and there's this guy who was a paralytic. He could not move, and so he had some friends who put him on a mat, and they carried him to go meet Jesus. And there's too many people, and so they take they take this guy up to the roof of the house, which were flat. It was kind of like we think of a patio, right? And they dig a hole through the roof in the house, and they lower this guy through the roof while Jesus is teaching, which would be really distracting, <laughs> right? It's Jesus teaching, all of a sudden, you know, the, the roof starts, you know crumbling and then you see this paralytic being lowered down you're like well i guess i'm gonna deal with this and he does and what we find is that jesus that he says something again that was so profound that i think this is why this was recorded Is he tells the man your sins are forgiven and of course there were people there that were very religious and all this and they say blasphemy who can forgive sins but god and you know what they're right Only God has the ability to forgive sins. And Jesus knows what they're thinking. It wouldn't take much. And he says, you know what? What's easier? For me to tell this guy his sins are forgiven or for me to tell him to get up and walk? Now, clearly, you can just say your sins are forgiven. Anybody can say that, right? But to say he get up and walk and the guy doesn't do it, that's make you look like a fool. He says, so that you will know and believe, he tells the man, all right, Get up, take your mat, and go home. And this man who is paralyzed in front of everybody gets up. He's able to get his mat. And with great joy, he walks home on his own healed legs. And even the critics and the many that were in the crowd then understood and believed. Because it's a God who did the smaller thing. I mean, God can heal bodies, but the amazing thing is he can heal souls. He can forgive sins and they have the evidence this is a god has power next thing we find is jesus calls a tax collector named matthew now you have in that area capernaum was a little fishing village but it was an important one there was the roman road that went right by it, it was, um, they had of course fishing that happened magdala is where they processed the fish and that place had to stink the high heaven but the thing is that you have trade that's going to be happening right and so anytime there's trade the government's going to be there to get a little piece of that uh, pie right they want want some money and so they hired this guy named matthew also known as levi and i think it's interesting that only the gospel of matthew reveals his name as matthew the other gospel writers were being kind to matthew and used his more jewish name levi because he was the apostle matthew i think that's cool matthew is just like now this is me Matthew was sitting there and he was collecting taxes and back then it was kind of like being a betrayer of your people, right? Because you're paying this pagan government and all this kind of stuff. And oftentimes they weren't totally above board and so they would rip people off and stuff too and so nobody likes a tax collector. So Matthew's sitting there and totally forgotten by his people, rejected but makes good money. Jesus walks by and says to Matthew, sees him at his booth and says, Hey, Matthew, follow me and without hesitation this man who is separated from his people the most least likely to be chosen by a messiah like if you would think the messiah is coming tax collectors would be like eh, probably it's not going to like me i'm getting taxes for the enemy this guy leaves his booth follows jesus and the next thing we find that he's doing is he has a party for jesus and all of his buddies are there right and he's showing his friends, like, this is the Messiah. He's got a nice house, like a big old party. He's like, I have been saved. I'm following the Messiah, and you've got to know this guy to well. Um, the religious people see this, and they're like, what is Jesus doing hanging out with tax collectors and all these notorious sinners? These aren't just kind of sinners. Like These are sinners that everybody knew they were sinners. They're bad dudes. Like, this Jesus can't all be that righteous. And Jesus tells them, because they're out there you know, criticizing the party, probably because they weren't invited, because nobody likes those party poopers. And Jesus goes out, he talks to them, and he says, listen. Do you bring a well person to a doctor, a sick person? A sick person. But the kingdom of God, I, I've come to heal the sick. Now, what they didn't know was that those guys were also sick. But sometimes we need to know we're sick to be able to find the physician, and Jesus became that physician for their souls. And salvation came to that area. So this is where we end this portion. This got us basically to the end of that first year. Jesus was busy. What we talked about today is about three to four months. So it was a lot of stuff. Some things we find is that Jesus has compassion. One of the things we talk about following Jesus, important to know that our God is a compassionate God. And to be his followers means that we have to understand that, because we can't be not compassionate people if we want to be his followers. Right? This is the very nature of our Lord. He heals the sick, right? Even royal official sons from distances, Peter's, Peter's mother in law, the leper, the paralytic, right? And and on and on and on. He didn't come to heal sick people. That wasn't his ministry, but he did it because he loves. This is the same Jesus we follow now. Do you know there may be things in your life that have nothing to do with your life's purpose but that people are going to have need and are going to be inconvenient? It's okay to be inconvenienced. Show love. Be compassionate. Jesus frees the enslaved people, right? He, he, he sees the overlooked, people like Matthew. That being his disciple means that we get to follow him in that. If anyone in this world is to be compassionate, shouldn't it be the followers of Jesus? But I find this too, that it's easier for us to show compassion because our Lord is compassionate it means that he's shown us compassion. You're never too broken to come to Jesus. Right? He, he wants to be in our lives. He wants to show you his love. So let him love you. The second thing we find in this passage, I think it's so cool, is this, his ministry here, is that Jesus has authority. He, he's not weak. He has authority over suffering. Right, he can tell, if he doesn't want to be thrown off a cliff and stoned, he can just walk through the crowds. If, if he doesn't want a person to continue to suffer, he is willing and he's able to take away even leprosy. He has authority over suffering, but he doesn't always take away suffering. But isn't it good to know that he can and will anytime he sees fit? He has authority over space. Jesus does not have to physically be right there touching someone in order to have some kind of magical healing. He is God over all things, all times, and all spaces. There's nothing outside of the purview of his authority. He can change anything, anywhere. He has authority over spirits. Even demons have to submit to him. These are the enemies of God. When he says, be quiet, they have to be quiet. And when he says, get out of here, they have to leave. He has authority over sin. Jesus can say, your sins are forgiven and your sins are forgiven. No matter how much you try to hold on to them, they're not yours any longer. He has authority over salvation. He's the God who can save. He's the only one that can bring dead things to life. He has the authority to do so and he uses that authority. Isn't it good to know that we're following a Messiah that has the authority to do what he claims that he he came to do? Last thing we find is that Jesus has a mission. He's here for a reason. He came to save the spiritually sick. Right? His message was this, repent, the kingdom of God is near. And then we find after he died and rose again, he says, the kingdom of God is here. The God is amongst us. He has a mission and he sent to us to continue that mission, which we call our great commission, to go to all people. Right? To baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right? To, to teach them how to obey everything that Jesus commanded. And he's given us his Holy Spirit to be with us always to the end of the age. He has a mission. And his call on that mission then is to follow him. That's what we need to do. The church can't be about doing our own things. We need to be following what Christ told us to do. His way, his mission, under his authority for his glory. How do you apply that in your life? Right? There's a lot of good things in there, isn't it? Well, I think the first thing you can do is memorize what Jesus said to us. That to anyone who wants to be his disciple, must deny themselves, take up the cross, and follow him. Take some time this week. Memorize that, that memory verse from Matthew 16, 24. How about this? Why don't you read where we went through in the Gospels, right, today? There's a lot of stuff in there. Read the story yourself. If you're harming the gospel, that's easy. If not, you can start with uh, Luke chapter 4. A lot of the things are in there. Something else I'm going to challenge you to do this week. Remember this. You have a compassionate God who is a God with authority. So tell God your concerns. Whatever they are, no matter how trivial or small they are, tell him. Don't demand a sign, but at least tell him where you're at. Ask him for your help or ask him to help you. But here's another thing I'm going to challenge you to do, and this is on your connection card, is to follow God's direction. Be like the royal official, even before you see the sign. Can you just trust and follow what Jesus said? Don't be like the leper who was healed and messes things up. Trust God. If he tells you to do something, do it. So as you ask God and you go to him, He's going to give you instruction. He's going to help you live your life. Just trust him enough to do it. And you will see the power and the work of the Messiah in your life as well. It's pretty cool. All right. So that brings me to the end of this message. Uh, and so I'm going to pray for us. and will set you go. I, but I also want to pray for Phil and Kate because they are awesome. And they've been serving us for, for what, eight months. Something like that, which has been amazing. And they're not leaving. They're going to come back. You know, they're still part of the church and and all of those wonderful things. But we want to pray a blessing for them and say thank you for what you guys have done. So let me just pray for you and for then the rest of you guys, and we'll end with a great song. So let me just, I'm going to lay hands. Not that I can't pray a blessing in distance because Jesus is powerful, but here we go. (laughs) Father God, we do thank you for for Phil. We thank you for Kate as well and for their wonderful heart and ministry and for the way they've served this church family and following you. Lord, I pray that you bless them in this next uh, chapter of life as they continue to do ministry at KOA and here at the church. Lord, I pray that uh, you would bless them for the ways that they have been a a great servant of yours amongst us. May we follow them as they follow you in this. And Lord, we also want to pray a blessing for for Jesse as he comes and his ministry as well, Lord, that uh, it's really your kingdom that we want to build. We want to follow you. And in that vein, Father, we want to bless uh, this congregation, that we would be a faithful people, that we would serve you with our hearts and lives and with all of us, that we would deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow you, the great good God who saves souls. We pray this in his wonderful name. Amen.